Welcome to the Broken Pie Chart Podcast, episode number 33. I'm your host, Eric Moore, and today we're going to be talking a little bit about these wacky negative rates around the world in the bond markets. And you might be saying, wait a second, you just talked about bonds last week. Well, that's true. I've gotten a lot of questions about what do you mean somebody would actually buy a bond with a negative yield? And by the way, this once again gives us more indications that the, the need for alternative income strategies continues to, to grow and the fact that traditional bonds in many parts of the world, and of course the U.S. as well, uh, where we are much, much lower than, not quite as low as we've been, but we're, we're under 2% again in the 10-year treasury. At least we were yesterday and momentarily today. And so I'm going to explain what negative yielding bonds are and then just how crazy some of this gets when you think about the laws of finance and the time value of money and, and how we look at some of this stuff. I think it was Mohammed L. Alarian yesterday tweeted out a graph showing that there's now $12.5 trillion out there in negative yielding bonds, which is just, it seems to really just be one of those things that it's hard to believe. And when we say a negative yielding bond, essentially what we're saying is, look, you are theoretically paying uh, a government, uh, I guess, you know, there, there have been some corporations in, in Europe who have actually issued negative rate bonds, but let's stick to the governments for now. You are theoretically paying uh, the government money to <laughs> for you to lend them money. You know, when when you buy a bond, you're essentially lending somebody money. And uh, let's take, for example, Switzerland. Switzerland, uh, their let's let's use their uh, their five year bond. And so their five year bond has a negative zero point eight seven percent yield which means in theory, every year you are paying them money uh, to lend them money, which is, it's just a little bit out of whack. Switzerland, by the way, is pretty interesting. They actually issue, I believe they're one of the few countries that issues 50-year bonds, but just looking at 30 years and below on duration maturities, their 30-year bond just went negative, negative 0.01. So they're, I mean... uh, zero through 30 in time or duration are all negative bond yields, which uh, just seems a little crazy. So before we get into how unprecedented this is, what it means and how it defies the sort of the laws of finance, it's it's worth just sort of explaining because a lot of people say, wait a second, who would buy a bond and actually pay somebody money? That doesn't make any sense. And on the face of it, it shouldn't make that much sense. But Let's remember, the way that negative, if the bond is issued with a negative yield to maturity, you actually are the the, uh, the person who buys the bond, which remember, when you buy a bond, you're essentially lending money to whoever the, the issuer is. Uh, but let's say you buy a, a, a Danish bond or a Denmark bond, a two-year bond, negative 0.75% yield, and you say, wait a second, I have to send them a check for 0.75% a year, or as we say, 75 basis points, right? 1% equals 100 basis points, 0.75 is 75 basis points. Well, there's not really a mechanism to do that. So it's not that people are actually paying a, a check every six months, like you would get a coupon payment for a positive yielding bond that pays a coupon, let's say, twice a year. The way that it it's sort of a negative yield, we get into what's called the, the yield to maturity. And so most bonds, let's just use a, a normal bond. Let's say it's a 30-year bond 
and it had a 5% coupon. By the way, that seems, uh, there was a time where 5% seemed low, but now that would seem really high. But again, that 5% coupon and our price of the bond was 100, which means the, the value is 1,000. And the price uh, at par, meaning the price once the bond matures and assuming no defaults, is going to be 100 or or $1,000. So you buy the bond for 1000 In 30 years, you get your 1000 bucks back, but you get 5% or 50 bucks a year. So the yield to maturity on this one would be 5%. And yield to maturity really, um, it gets a little involved as far as the, the formula goes, but it, it looks at uh, the difference between what you pay for the bond and what you get back at maturity. And then it also looks at the annual uh, interest or coupon payments that you receive. And so this bond has a 5% yield to maturity. Easy enough, right? Well, let's say that you bought this bond at a premium and instead of buying it at, uh, oh, I don't know, 100, you buy it at 110, which means you paid $1,100 for it. Well, then the yield to maturity goes down to 4.4%. And the reason why that is, because as the bond matures in 30 years, you get less than you paid for it back. But remember, you're still getting those coupon payments. And so that's an important distinction. Now, when we look at, let's say, a bond that doesn't pay anything, uh, let's say it just uh, it pays nothing at a coupon, which negative yielding bonds uh, certainly do, then what's the deal with how is it a negative yield to maturity? Okay. Basically, what happens is you don't, you're not paying them coupon payments back to them. What happens is when you buy a bond that doesn't pay a coupon for higher than what you'll get back at maturity, again, assuming no defaults, it has a negative yield to maturity. So let's say a 30-year bond, uh, you buy it at 110, let's say it's issued at higher than par, and then at, at maturity in 30 years, you get your 1,000 bucks back. The yield to maturity on that, if you do the calculation, is about negative 0.32% and then some change. So hopefully that clears it up. Like you're not sending checks to the, uh, the government of Denmark. Um, they are simply, you buy the bond at a higher price than par than eventually. And so in some regard, the, the way that you price these things, it's similar to, uh, to a zero coupon bond. And that would be a bond that you buy and then you realize the appreciation at maturity when you get paid your, your par value. Okay. So, a couple of things here. Most people say, well, this sounds just insane. Who would buy a bond and get a negative return? Well, there, there's a couple things. We know that the ECB, the, the European Central Bank, they've actually been doing a bond buying program as part of their quantitative easing. So you have central banks that will buy these bonds. Uh, in some regards, sometimes pension funds for either regulatory reasons or other reasons buy these bonds. Uh, and another reason to buy this bond, remember, if interest rates go up, bond prices go down. If interest rates go down, bond prices go up. So in theory, if interest rates got more negative, the, the market value of these bonds potentially could, could rise. Um, now, that's an interesting point, by the way. So, you know, on the face of it, 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 doesn't, seem, uh, it doesn't seem like it's that very legitimate to buy one of these. And quite frankly, I don't think there's a lot of reason to buy a negative bond. But this actually brings up the matter of risk. If we look again and we say, okay, let's go back to our bond that we bought at $1,000 or priced at $100. Uh, we pay $1,000 for it. And then let's say we've got our 
5% coupon. So we get 5% a year. Thank you very much. And we are going to, uh, this is a bond that's going to give us uh, 30 years worth of payments. The modified duration, and so it's a 30-year bond, but then it's sensitivity to interest rates, meaning if interest rates go up a percent or down a percent, theoretically, what's our our you know, duration sensitivity. And, and the modified duration is about 15 and a half years, okay? So think about a, a rule of thumb back of the envelope. Interest rates go up by 1%. You would expect, uh, you know, interest rates go up tomorrow 1%. You got 30 years left. Uh, this would go down about 15 and a half percent, okay? Now, let's take the same bond and instead of a, let's just make it 0% is the coupon, and we still got that 30-year bond. And if we pay, let's say, more, well, let's just do it. Imagine we just didn't get anything. Well, your duration is 30 years, meaning when you, okay, your duration, by the way, and if the yield to maturity is less, you actually wind up having a higher duration than the actual duration. So in this case, if interest rates went down uh, or went up a percent, you would expect to lose about 30% on that. Uh, in the case of, let's say, that Swiss bond that's uh, yielding point, you know, negative uh, 0.001%, uh, that duration is actually 30.01 and some change by some quick math. And so negative yields, the duration or sensitivity interest rates is actually higher than its actual duration, okay? Oof, that's a lot. If you know nothing else, just understand that when you look at a bond, its sensitivity to interest rates is, is also called the modified duration. And just know that the higher the coupon, the lower the time, the less sensitivity. And what I'm telling you is these bonds that have negative yields have a really high risk if interest rates were to spike, the market values could go down on these because the duration is so high, the sensitivity to interest rates. All right. So we mentioned, you know, 12, over $12 trillion now of the bonds are negative yielding. There's a couple nuggets in here too. I mean, normally you would think, okay, if there's a country that the economic outlook or the debt situation, whatever it is, their ability to pay um, is worse than another country, you would expect those yields to be higher. And I found one of the interesting things on here is remember Greece was in the news, uh, I feel like it's only a couple of years ago, it might have been more years ago, and their bond yields, I think at one point, were up over 20 or 30% on some of the durations because there was this fear about them defaulting on the bonds. Remember, they don't print their own currency. They are subscribers or members of the European Union, and therefore they use euros. And they needed to take a lot of loans from, I believe, the European Central Bank, the World Bank, the IMF. There was a couple, if you Google it, if, if you have interest in it. But taking a look at the seven-year bond, the Greece bond, so Greece uh, sovereign or government bonds, that yield was 1.48% last time I checked it. And then you go and you look at the U.S. Treasury bond, and that's 1.94%. And that just struck me because you think, well, we control our own currency, and you know, I got to be honest with you, I'm not, I haven't looked at the Greek uh, debt situation, but it was just odd to me that we would pay a higher yield when, in theory, uh, our bonds should have a higher, uh, you know, credit rating than uh, than the Greece bonds. So that's just one of the anomalies, but it's it's really kind of fascinating. 
looking at some of these these yields, I mentioned Switzerland. You could buy a thirty-year bond at negative point or negative zero point oh one percent, so pretty much about even. Uh, their six-month bond is negative three quarters, but it's all up and down the map. Germany, uh, for example, Germany ten-year is negative zero point forty. Japan has negative rates. Austria, Sweden. And for most of these countries, the very short end of the curve is negative. Uh, for example, Portugal at six year, you would get 0.05 positive uh, percent. So that's not like the decimal of 5%. That's five, uh, five tenths of a percent, right? And of course, the United States has over 2% on six months and one years. And then uh, they're under two from two until uh, up until 10. And then 10 actually today went slightly over 2%. So really just a, a weird, um, you know, we saw negative rates first rear their head a couple of years ago. But recently we've seen some of these countries with the majority of their durations having a negative yield to maturity. And in fact, uh, some of them have actually issued bonds with an initial negative yield. Remember, a bond could be issued with a positive yield, but then due to uh, the bond price going down, it could slip into a negative yield to maturity. So I just find this interesting, and, and it really points to the need for alternative income strategies. Because let's say in the years past, you relied on bonds. And you know, if I'm somebody in Switzerland, and I used to rely on Swiss government bonds to generate income for me, uh, holding any of these bonds will reduce a negative nominal return. And we'll talk about the real return after inflation in a second. But this goes to the idea of potentially using on a percentage of a portfolio, you know, short volatility or, or strategies, uh, defined risk strategies. It also speaks to using bonds as, you know, at least in the U.S., with, as a funding source to then buy protection and instead hold equities. And so uh, this points to really the, not only the emergence, but the continued need for alternative sources of income. Uh, because after you, you really account for inflation, the real yields on a lot of this uh, fixed income is just not there. A couple of the things that I think, I don't know, I found it interesting and it sort of defies some of the laws of finance. And so if you, well, first of all, let's use the Denmark, the negative 0.75% uh, two-year bond. Okay. So that's the nominal return, right? But let's say inflation is 2% and inflation in Denmark may not be 2%, but I'm, I'll use this as an example. If we get negative three quarters percent and inflation is 2%, our after inflation real return is negative 2.7%. And that's the other risk. Not only you're not getting a positive return, but your real yield is actually, you know, it's, it's going to be bad. Um, and that erodes your purchasing power. The other thing that's, that's sort of fascinating is that um, the idea of the, the time value of money. And, and time value of money just means, let's say you're going to get a payment of $1,000 in 30 years. Well, if you're going to get a payment of $1,000 in 30 years, uh, that payment is not worth as much today as it would be in 30 years. In other words, you're going to get that money in 30 years. If they, somebody gives you $1,000 today, it's $1,000. But money that you're going to, get, going to get in 30 years 
if you're using, let's say, a discount rate of 2%, uh, that payment is only going to be worth about $552 in today's terms. So you've got to discount it down. And this is where the laws of, of uh, the time value of money start to break down. Because let's say on that 30-year uh, Swiss bond with the 0.01, negative 0.01% yield, so less than, uh, less than positive, if you actually used a negative discount rate, the payment that you'll receive in 30 years of $1,000 would be worth today over $1,000. It would be worth $1,030. That doesn't make any sense whatsoever. And so that's one of the, I'll call a wacky thing on this as well, is that some of the, the normal formulas that you would use uh, certainly you know, may not apply. Now, a lot of you might say, wait a second. Why would you use that as a risk-free rate when you could just keep cash and couldn't you just use a, a 0% discount rate? And that's true. Uh, you could certainly keep cash and you could use a 0% discount rate. But of course, a 0% discount rate implies that uh, you know a payment of $1,000 in 30 years is worth $1,000 today. And well, that doesn't make sense. So you really have to look at this from the inflation-adjusted returns. If we looked at 2% inflation for 30 years, uh, and let's say we start a, a CPI index today, of, and we'll call the value of the index of 100, well, 2% a year would equal 181 in 30 years. And so if you just got 0% return on your money, you kept it under your mattress, you would lose 81% of the purchasing power of that money. You, the value would go down by 81%. Why? Because prices are going to go up um, in 30 years of you know 81%. And by the way, if inflation's higher, it, it gets even worse. And so you probably wouldn't do that as well because then you lose purchasing power. And this gets interesting just in a roundabout way. You think, well, um, maybe this goes to why a lot of people want to own treasuries as opposed to some of the other negative yielding debt. Uh, I could see that uh, because let's say at least if you're going 30 years on a U.S. Treasury, it's 2.52% positive nominal return. And if you believe inflation is going to be 2%, and who knows what inflation is going to be in you know five years, much less 30 years. But at least then you'll preserve the purchasing power. Uh, if you're someone who lives in Denmark and you're using euros or you know krona or um, if you're in uh, Germany and using euros, you would have currency risk. But as we just saw, if inflation's in fact 2% a year, you would have lost 81% of your purchasing power anyway. Okay, we're getting a little bit too detailed here. But this is just, you know, it just gets really, really weird when we start looking at traditional ways of, of how we view um, and value money, and especially money tied up over a number of periods. Uh, what the central bank has done in, in driving rates, uh, all the quantitative easing and everything like that, um, I think it's uh, it's also very telling. After 2008, the Federal Reserve lowered rates, increased the money supply. But if you look at something called money velocity, and, and the velocity of money is really just, um, think about one $1 bill, how quickly it changes hands. So you buy a newspaper, the newspaper stand owner buys a slice of pizza, the pizza owner buys um, a pair of shoelaces. I don't know. Does all that stuff cost a dollar? I, I doubt it. But you get what I'm saying. Well, the money supply increased, but we really didn't see the velocity of money. The velocity of money sort of really fell off the cliff. So it's just quite curious 
all this negative yielding paper that's out there, bonds uh, over $12.5 trillion now, negative rates across most of Europe and um, very low rates in the U.S. on treasuries. So I get questions on this, and it just seemed, and, and people were correct when they said, wait a second, you have to write a check to a government to hold a bond? And no, that's not correct. There's no mechanism for that. Uh, but these bonds come out, they come out higher than par. So, you know, higher than a hundred or higher than a thousand par value. And then they have a negative yield to maturity because they don't pay a coupon. And then eventually the bond goes down in value, uh, as just, you know, barring default. So anyway, hopefully this, uh, this helps you out. And this is one of those that can get really complicated very quickly, but this is what you should take out of this. Yes, there's a lot of negative yielding debt. Yes, rates have recently dropped lower. Um, yes, um, when you look at duration, most of these bonds with negative yields have very high duration, which for your purposes means very high sensitivity to interest rates, much less so than, say, uh, a bond with a higher coupon where if you have a 30-year bond at a 5% coupon, as we just saw, its sensitivity is more around 15 years, meaning if interest rates went up 1%, you'd expect those to go down about 15%, um, you know, as long as there's close to 30 years remaining. And then some of this stuff about present value, it just it's just wacky, really, really wacky when you, you think about using a negative discount rate. But this is why it's important to, to look at a real return in inflation, because that really sort of informs and, and helps you understand that um, hope people holding and they're answering the question, you know, who would hold these? It's if you want any sort of real return, it's if there's inflation, it's only going to get not great. So alternative income sources, uh, short volatility, these types of things. And uh, maybe next time I will pivot back to more of a volatility episode and ways that, uh, you know, potentially you can generate income outside of the fixed income space. So until then, uh, have a great uh, week and we'll talk to you soon.